Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great episode and conversation to help you up your game and improve your skills in talent development. Today, we are going to be talking about HR 3.0 and the evolving role of HR leaders and talent development leaders in today's market condition. It is a topic that I am very excited about, and our guest today is someone who has a lot of great experience in this area and has his finger on the pulse of what is going on in the HR world and the future of work, if you will. My guest today is L. David Kingsley, who is the Chief People Officer of Intercom, the leading customer service platform for internet businesses. Intercom uses the power of automation and human support in a single cohesive platform that enables conversational and omni-channel services across proactive and reactive engagements with the power of chat GPT. In addition to his current operator role at Intercom, Kingsley serves at a number of board roles, including on the board of directors of Novati, as well as in an advisory role at Change Engine, Performatory, and Enterprise Ireland. Prior to Intercom, Kingsley held people leadership roles at tech companies like Alteryx, Velocity, MuleSoft, and Salesforce, as well as in professional services firms like Booz Allen and Accenture. David has a BA from Catholic University and is a retired lieutenant from the U.S. Navy Reserve. David, welcome to the podcast. Andy, thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for having me and great to reconnect after some years. We did some fun things, good work together some years back, and it's great to reconnect. So thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. We connected many years ago when you were at Salesforce and uh, I've kind of kept in touch and we did some work together on some great leadership development programs back then. And you've moved on to some really interesting roles and companies and uh, kind of seen a lot of growth in the tech world and the SaaS world and been doing some really cool things at, at Intercom. And so it was great to reconnect recently and catch up and excited to have you on this week to talk about HR 3.0. Excellent. Yeah, it's a topic that's definitely top of mind as we kind of evolve as an HR function, as businesses. And I think in some senses, you know, as a culture, as a working culture, I know we're going to get into a little bit of that in this conversation. It's just a really interesting time to be in the space and uh, appreciate you opening the dialogue so we can have it. And to all of your fans and listeners and followers, you're a, you're an influencer in our space. So I'm, I'm glad to be part of the discussion and uh, thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And uh, before we get into that, Right before we started recording, I asked you a question that I've been wanting to ask you for many, many years, and I just never did, and finally did, and I, I wanted you to to share your answer. So, you know, for people listening, if you go look up David on LinkedIn, he goes by L. David Kingsley. Has always been that way when I communicate with you, and I wanted to know, you know, I just call you David, but like, what is the story behind that? Yeah, yeah, I, I do go by David. I don't think I'll ever earn the right to go by a fancy name in my life, but uh, the backstory is kind of funny. My mother and father are from Pennsylvania. And I, I know my mother's going to listen to this podcast because every time someone reads my bio, they get 50 cents. So uh, you, you should get your check in the mail um, for that. But um, they're from Pennsylvania. I was born in Virginia and my father was in the banking industry. And my mother was hearing these fancy Southern money names like J. Thomas Smithton III. And, and she thought, well, 
I want my kid to be successful. So I'm going to give him a, a name like that. I'm going to call him L David. And what I don't know that mom understood at the time was that Jay Thomas was actually John Thomas. He just went by JT. And so I got the L uh, and even got a period after it. it doesn't stand for anything. It's just a, just an L period. So I am a walking grammatical error myself. And <laughs> as I was telling you, Andy, the courtesy of the United States Navy, they highlighted the fact for me that in fact, my birth certificate, my first name is L period. My middle name is David, last name Kingsley. So I guess it would be appropriate just to be called L or L dot. <laughs> but uh, most people call me David or LDKS, I guess, sometimes as well. So uh, yeah, that's I the backstory. That. <laughs> I love our mothers. Speaking of mothers and uh, going by middle names, I, I think I found out later in life, but my mom has always gone by her middle name and so has her younger sister. When I finally asked her about that, she said their parents named them and then immediately started calling them all by their middle names and never yeah. used their first names. And so they've always gone by their middle names. And I'm yeah. always like, why did you give someone a name and then call yeah. them by their middle name? Yeah, there should be like an amnesty period for newborns where the family can like, you know, a month or even a year after be like, actually, we call him Boo Boo. And it's like, all right, Boo Boo, here we go. You should get to get the change form in the mail from the, from the from the health department. Yeah. Oh, man. So funny. So you grew up uh, L. David Kingsley. I assume most of your friends called you David. Yeah. How did you get into this world of talent development? What's the background there? Yeah, it's interesting. So as you said, I started out my career in consulting and sort of fell into it. I, I was in the PeopleSoft practice um, at what was then Anderson Consulting. And we were implementing new PeopleSoft systems back when there was still code on clients who we were going around putting CD-ROMs in people's hard drives, getting them up mm. on PeopleSoft, and then made the transition into you know web-based product. But every time it was around this change journey that companies and organizations were going through as they were introducing new technology. And I think many companies, especially back then, made the decision to say, you know what, we're going to invest in all the technology. We'll put maybe one or two people on the change management side of things, the training, the L&D, and then we'll just hope it works. And what clients were finding was actually, no, the hardest part of going live on a new enterprise system is the people side. And I know it's no surprise to you and me and, and your followers and listeners. Um, we all know that and would agree with that. But I think leaders came to understand that, you know, call it late 90s into the 2000s, where it was like, no, we got to invest in this. Uh, our people are adapting to new technology, new ways of working, new business processes. And so I was in the change management function in consulting um, for the first 13 years of my career. And around about that time, Salesforce called and they said, we want to talk to you about this job in employee success. I said, what's that? They said, it's well, what we call HR. And I said, with I'm sure Andy, my nose very high in the air. Well, I'm not an HR person. I'm a consultant. Right. And, and they said, we know. And I said, what do you mean? You know, why are you calling me? I'm, you know, and they said, well, we want to do HR a little differently. We call it employee success, not human resources. I said, okay, I've been working, you know, my whole career to date to help organizations think differently about the nature of how humans evolve in times of change. And so that's really interesting to me. So that was the start of my, my pivot, my career, mid-career professional uh, into HR and, and was at Salesforce for, uh, I don't know, five or six years, and then moved into these head of HR, chief people officer roles that I'm, I'm so privileged and blessed to be part of some of these growing and scaling companies. Again, still connected to the fact that technology change happens faster now than ever. Um, and we've got human beings at the end of it. No matter how much automation we introduce, there are still human beings who are going to be part of this solution, at least for probably the rest of your and my career. Maybe yeah. our kids, maybe not, but I don't know. But at least the rest of my working <laughs> days, I think people will still be involved in these things. So right. it's an honor to be part of it. And, um, and I found being in the HR space is the most inspiring to me because I get to stay close to my clients all the time 
every day because it's my company. It's our, our organization that we're all part of together. So I um, really enjoyed that pivot from consulting. I still do describe myself, Andy, as a recovering consultant, though. Mm. You're still going to find a hypothesis-driven approach, you know, yeah. and a spreadsheet and some metrics somewhere, you know, in 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 my tabs on my spreadsheets. <laughs> so yeah, you keep I'm, it away from that for sure. <laughs> I'm with you. You know, I come from a consulting background as well. Yeah. And when I'm working, I'm having conversations with new people that would say, you ask such great questions. Like, I know I come from a consulting background. We're paid to ask yeah, that, a lot. That's of... really my only skill, I think, is asking questions. And I'm always right. trying to get better at asking questions. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> same. That's why I've been uh, done well with podcasting over the last year, because I just get to ask yeah. people questions, which I love doing. Yeah. I know you don't come from a traditional HR background, but I worked with you at that time. I did a lot of work with Salesforce and, and was really impressed with a lot of things they were doing in the, the people practice. What stands out when you think back to that group that the company was building and calling it employee success versus what other companies might've been doing with, you know, quote HR. Yeah. I think that it was the kind of first turn of the crank of companies really embracing the idea that to attract and engage people in your organization requires you, us to, to treat them like customers. We have a customer experience in our lives every day out in the world. And we have a certain expectation of how we are treated as customers. And especially at that time, employees were pivoting inside their organizations and saying, well, I want to feel like a customer here. I want to have an experience. I'm not just here to you know, punch a time clock and do my 25 years and get my, my gold watch and then and then go into retirement. The, the first That was kind of the first turn of the crank of what I think is today, what I'll call HR 3.0, which is the mindset of knowledge workers. And that really started, I think, back then. There's another kind of counterpoint that I think is valid to that, that I've had some CEOs share with me of saying, well, that's great, but sometimes the employee as customer doesn't work because the customer sometimes needs to be told something they don't want to hear. Mm. And that's fair. I would also argue that a lot of the companies we interact with as customers sometimes tell us things we don't want to hear. Hey, Mm -hmm. the product doesn't do that. We're unable to deliver that on time, or that's not going to be available, or the price went up. You know, those are, we get hard messages as customers all the time. It's about how that's delivered and how the individual feels in that interaction. I think that's the part that really has remained um, in terms of how all workers, knowledge workers, um, folks in factory floors, everybody wants to be treated because we're all human beings. Yeah. And I think about that stemming from, you know, what Mark Benioff, the the founder of Salesforce created when when creating the, the customer team there and calling it customer success instead of customer yeah. service because customer yeah. service was being about more reactive, like fielding questions when they came in. Customer success is about how do we make our customers as successful as possible so that they want to buy more from us, so they refer right. us to other customers. And it's the same idea with employees. How do we make employees successful? It doesn't mean they always know what they need or want, but how do we help them feel like they are successful in their careers so that they want to work here longer and tell their friends? Yeah, there's a, a matter of personal agency that goes in there. That when people feel like they're having a vote, they get a voice in this, they have agency. I think that the outcomes are much better. We have a happier, more engaged, more productive workforce who feel more human. And then you know, at the highest order, I think when companies are doing that, serving their people in that way, those individuals go home um, to their friends and families and communities and they're better family members, better community members, better human beings, because they mm-hmm. feel more self-actualized. And we've always got to doff our cap to Mr. Maslow. And you know, when we're when we're thinking about that and the fact that human beings want to find that level of their, their actualized potential, they're going to be better humans. So there is some pretty high order of magnitude work that I think folks in this business, in this industry are doing matters for 
what I think is a successful world or a more successful world. And I don't know where you sit, Andy, but where I sit, I think the world could use all the help it can get right now mm-hmm. in terms of self-actualization, feeling heard and understood and and growing and, and feeling engaged through all areas, all walks of society, all countries. And that's pervasive. And I think we're, we're on the right track for those of us who are trying to focus on that and do our hard work there. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree. And I think about the most recent data, I've shared this on the podcast in the past, but there was a McKinsey study recently on what employees are looking for, what they want. And it basically said that the top reason people are leaving organizations now is lack of perceived growth, right? Mm -hmm. Which shows you what do people really want? They want to know how they're growing in their career. They want to know how can I be successful here? And are you setting up just to kind of give them a job and, and let them do whatever, or are you looking for ways to help them become successful in their careers so that they feel more fulfilled and they're more likely to tell their friends? Yeah, very well said. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that that's the heart of the matter that we're all trying to to tackle and, and work on, even as business and our companies and our markets evolve and change. And, and there's a lot of shifting sands happening right now. As you said, though, the core thing about the way people show up every day and want to be treated and grow in their careers, I don't think that has changed at all. No. Yeah. In fact, it's just, it's, it's kind of expanding in some places. So you mentioned the the idea of HR 3.0, uh, you mentioned that the sand's changing, things are evolving. Let's talk about that. You know, can you, can you yeah. share what's your view and philosophy on the evolution of HR and talent development and how that's been changing? Yeah. It's a, I'll, I'll kind of walk you back through the evolution as I see it right now. So 1.0, we were just talking about it actually, call it you know five, 10 years ago, probably, when companies were starting to really realize this idea of employee as customer. And I'll put it in the frame of what that meant for those of us in the people functions or in, in HR. And where that got to the extreme was led by you know some of the larger you know companies in our industry that were doing you know bring your dog to work, dry cleaning at work, three meals a day, shuttle buses to the office. It was the perk wars, and we in HR were trying to figure out how do we attract talent through making people feel more like we're taking care of them at work. And there was this idea of this kind of the company as family, join our family, we're a family. I think we've evolved away from that. I think that's probably healthy that our companies aren't families, they're organizations, they're institutions, mm-hmm. they're they're serving shareholders and stakeholders. Though I'm sure some of my family members would like to 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 tell me not to come to the party anymore, they can't because we're family. So we're always going to be at the party together. That's right. Companies are a little different than that and we all acknowledge that and understand that nowadays. But in 1.0, I think we were really embracing this idea of how do we attract people through making them feel like part of the family, giving them all these perks. And then HR was constantly thinking about how do we add to the employee experience while this idea of employee as customer was was really blossoming. And that was good, good hard work. And I think we developed some important techniques and approaches and what I'll call playbooks in that time. So that was 1.0. 2.0 really happened in the spring of, of 2020. And I know all of us remember that. It was that moment when if anybody's from the East Coast, I grew up on the East Coast, it, it was it felt like a snow day. It's like, okay, we're all going to go home from the office for a couple of days, maybe a week. And then this, this COVID thing will just blow over. And we're all looking at that little spiky pink ball with the blue things off of it on the news and like, oh, what is this? And all of us in the people business suddenly overnight became epidemiologists and nurse practitioners and, <laughs> you know, testing of- officials and, you know, swabbers and how far up the nose does the thing go? It's like, oh, I wasn't trained for this, but we all had to kind of learn it overnight and, you know, distance and masking and clean- cleansing and, you know, Clorox wipes and the whole bit. And that was kind of the first part of 2.0 was just this overnight 
transition we all had to make to serving a fully remote workforce. And Andy, if you remember anything like me, I'm sure the first video thing that I did with my team, it was like this. Is this thing on? Uh, can you all hear me? Is everybody out there? You know, and it's the feedback and people are <laughs> right. on mute and, you know, all of it. And all of us were adjusting to this idea of being a fully remote workforce. And so in 2.0, our people teams had to, had to educate ourselves and our clients and our companies on how do you engage and retain a workforce um, in a fully remote world. So that was kind of the first part of 2.0. Then I'll call 2.1 hit. And that was when we saw this great resignation starting to happen. And that mm-hmm. happened, I think, because the barriers to entry and exit in companies went to almost zero, right? You could be in a staff meeting on a Monday, interview on a Tuesday, and accept a new job on a Friday and tell your boss the following Monday that you're leaving. Mm-hmm. And and the boss is like, I didn't even know you were looking. And the person says, neither did I. But mm-hmm. I did these interviews over Zoom and it was you know half an hour here, half an hour there. And they sent me the DocuSign and I onboard next week. And because you don't have to even leave your house, right? We used to have to get on airplanes and do meetings and people had dentist appointments, a lot of dental (laughs) appointments, you know, a lot of those out there. Um, I'm from a family of dentists. That's always a good thing. Everybody make sure you brush and floss. But that all went away. It was this zero barrier to entry and exit in companies. And so 2.1 call it was people in the people business saying, how do we retain and engage our workforces in a fully remote environment where everyone seems to be looking at or taking new jobs. And it was kind of up in the air. And and people said, oh, you've been there nine months. I don't care. Want to come work here? It was everybody was was kind of racing for this. And we saw not the perk wars as much as we did in 1.0, but we saw these kind of salary wars. And if some of your, your listeners remember, you know, we were losing team members left and right to companies who were giving salaries out that was like, what? They're, they're paying that for that? I mean, mm. good people, good hardworking folks, but just kind of beyond the market, I would say 90th percentile plus, we saw these offers going out. And yeah. then other companies had to kind of chase that. So that was another challenge for us in the people business of how do we pivot and react and respond to that in 2.0, 2.1. 3.0 is, you know, saw the CDC came out the other day, World Health Organization, that essentially have declared, you know, the pandemic for all intents and purposes as defined, the pandemic has passed. Now, mm-hmm. there are a whole lot of people in the world who are still very much struggling with the effects of the pandemic, whether health-wise, or economically, socially, et cetera. So I don't ever want to say that it's it's over. But from a health practitioner standpoint, I think, you know, we've seen the masks have kind of disappeared. We're not really swabbing anymore. We're kind of back to call it whatever normal was. We can back to something around the world. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're in this kind of 3.0 world now where people are involved in what I'll call a tug of war with their, many of their employers, employers are saying, I want you back four or five days in the office. I was reading some the other day, a CEO said, I want you in the office Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, Tuesday's optional. Okay. Well, why don't you just say Monday through Thursday and you right. can work from home Friday, kind of like we've all done for many, many years. And knowledge workers in particular are saying, you know what, I've developed some new patterns of life during the pandemic that actually Mm -hmm. work really well for my family, for me, health wise, my children, you know, uh, elder care, you know, what have you. And, and they're saying, "Hmm, I don't, I don't know about that. Let's, let's talk about that. So there's this kind of tug of war, this push pull going on, that I think is healthy to have that dialogue. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, um, we have these economic headwinds that we're facing. And so companies are saying, Something's going on. My stock price has suffered. Um, my customers are, you know, not showing up like they used to. They're negotiating harder. How do I, you know, run and grow a successful business in the face of these economic headwinds with a workforce who may or may not want to behave like I want them to in terms of where they're working and how they're working? And in the face of all that, knowledge workers now, I believe, have joined what I will say is the gig economy. 
we used to think about gig economy as Uber drivers, you know, DoorDash, Lyft, et cetera. And those folks flipped on their app, worked when they wanted, where they wanted, how they wanted for the organizations they wanted. And they saw themselves as free agents. I think one of the things that the pandemic has done is caused all knowledge workers to start thinking about themselves in some sense as free agents. And they're saying, okay, company X, do my values align with yours? Do I believe in the product you're taking to market? Can I stand by it? And how are you going to grow and develop me in my career as I'm part of your organization? And if the answer to any of those questions comes back, um, or there's just a dial tone when they pick up the phone, no answer, um, they might make a, a decision to vote with their feet. And so in 3.0, we've got this knowledge worker as gig economy contributor, where again, the barriers to entry and exit have gotten smaller that we learned during the pandemic. And people are reconceiving of the way that they think about themselves as workers and contributors in companies. So that's a long answer to a short question, Andy, but that's kind of the 1.0 to 2.0 to 3.0 evolution I think we've gone through, um, certainly in the people business. And that's shaping how we show up and how we guide our companies and our clients. Yeah, I, I appreciate that that history. I've been watching and participating in that evolution over the last three years as I, three plus years as I work with clients on especially on things like career development and leadership development and seeing obviously how things change so much during the pandemic, but then seeing what, what companies are dealing with now. I mean, obviously I worked with a lot of organizations during the great resignation where they're trying to do anything we can to keep yeah. our best employees. But you know, if they're unhappy for even a minute and then if a recruiter calls like they're out the door, like you said, and yeah. DocuSign and everything else. And now that's not, you know, the economy's changed, but there's also so much, so many differences between how different companies are approaching the way they work now. And I've I've thought for a while, it's going to be an interesting case study looking back in 10 or 20 years to see, you know, not necessarily what was the right or wrong way to go, but what were the impact of the different decisions that were made? Because it seems to me right now, this is just, there's no, I don't have hard data behind this, but if I had to guess based on all the conversations I'm having, articles I'm reading, there's about 25% of companies that have said, you must be back in the office all the time. Like we are fully in the office. About 25% of companies as a result of the pandemic that said, we are fully remote. We're getting mm -hmm. rid of our offices. We'll just have offsites every now and then. And then about 50% of companies that are in the middle, trying to figure it out. Like you said, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah. Thursday, either sometimes they say they specify the days. Sometimes they just say like, ah, come when you can. And it's not really well specified. And then yeah. You've got leaders who are getting angry because they don't have clear expectations on when people should be in and people aren't showing up as much as they think they should. And there's just a lot of confusion out there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that wherever companies can add clarity, I don't think there's any one right or wrong answer to hybrid, remote, virtual, you know, on, on site, whatever. It's a matter of the company and the leaders saying to their employees, their people, here's the business context we're operating in. To the extent that they can, public companies obviously have some more constraints, but to the extent they can to say, here's how our business is operating. We, the leadership team, believe the following things. And so we're going to do these things in response to those stimuli in our business and our market, et cetera. And when we do that and we're successful, then we will all participate in that success. I think engaging people in that so they understand the thought process, they feel embraced in that is the key, whether it's you know two days a week, five days a week, whatever it is. I think most employees, most people, when they're brought in to understand what's going on in terms of a change, are much more likely to embrace that and, and work with it. And then obviously we would call on leaders to be flexible and agile to say, if you've got someone sick at home, take care of them, Like do the things you need to do to be a good human. Mm -hmm. And I don't think any company is saying, 
you know, we're going to lose our humanity and return to the office. Um, at the same time, I do think there's an ability to add some more transparency and some more dialogue there versus, you know, take a hard left or right with a policy. And then it's just, well, because I said so. And I don't know about you, but even our kids, I got Jack and Kate and Maddie, they don't do anything when I say, because I said so. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Kate's three years old and she still, she already wants to know the rationale. <laughs> right. So I got to take my time and explain it. And I don't think that changes even in adulthood. I think that's just human beings and human nature that we want to understand. We want to be brought along for the journey. Tell me how I'm going to grow and develop through this. And, and I'm willing to to pitch in and participate. I want to see the company succeed. So, yeah, I mean, we talked about that already. Like the number one thing I think people want in their careers is growth. Like to know how am I going to grow while I'm here? And, you know, to your point, I've, I've studied and taught leadership for a long time. I think one of the worst things that leaders do is, is ask people to do things without telling them why, you know, or one of the worst feelings is when you're working on some big project, you don't even know what the point is. Like, what is this for? So I try to bottle that with my children as well. I try to avoid the, like, just do it because I said, so here's the reason behind it. Like usually try to have an answer for it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Most of the time with the exception of some of my roles, maybe in the Navy, when you only know one little piece of the thing you're working on for obvious reasons, most of us now want to know where our work fits into the broader whole that we're contributing shoulder to shoulder with our colleagues and all pulling towards the same the same North Star or the Southern Cross for those who are down under. Yeah, that's right. That's true. There may be exceptions, military. I'm sure there's plenty of people at Apple and Amazon, some of those big tech companies that are working on some things that maybe they don't know the bigger picture, yeah. but you can kind of trust, you can have faith that like, oh, this is part of something cool. Yeah, like I'm, so, I'm working on this button and I know it's going to go into the iPhone in the fall. So like yeah, I'm working on the button, I get point. it. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know where you've been, David, but they took buttons out of the iPhone uh, quite some time. Well, I guess there's a couple. What? Left. Is this on? <laughs> what? <laughs> so as we think about this, this new world we're in of HR 3.0, especially for companies that are either fully remote or they're kind of in that middle ground, that hybrid ground, you know, for HR professionals and talent development professionals, what do people need to be thinking about to not only be successful in their roles, but make sure that they're a good partner and they're providing value to the executives, to the company they work for and with? Yeah, it's a a great question. I think it's one that all of us are, are thinking about. And we are probably wise to avoid running the same plays that we ran in 1.0 in 3.0. And by that, I mean the following. If someone came to most of us, you know, five, 10 years ago, and they said, hey, we've got budget for five more people. You and I would have those five people on board in like six weeks. Like someone gives you budget, you run and drive it like you stole it. (laughs) Get them on board, you know, build that team. And we, myself included, certainly kind of equated our success in these organizations with the size of the organization. Do I have, you know, first and second and third line leaders working for me? Is my organization growing? Am I promoting people to manager? And that was one of the success definitions in organizations. I think one of the things that we're seeing right now in business and companies is we're no longer making that direct correlation between organizational size and the success of the leader. This is very much the era of the player coach where every one of us in leadership roles are called now more than ever to have our our sleeves rolled up and our hands in the dirt. I like to talk about my my self uh, vision is a landscape architect. I'm asked to think about the elevation, you know, of the shrubberies and the trees and the grass on on the house and how's it going to fit and look. 
But then I'm also, you know, asked and I enjoy, you know, backing the truck up and getting the fill dirt down there and getting the the, the travel out and building and putting some things in the ground. Um, this is that era. This is the era of the landscape architect of the player coach, where no longer do we define, you know, our organizational success by the size team we have, how many direct reports we have, et cetera. It's more around, absolutely around where are we driving value for the mission of the organization or the company or the customers, or the shareholders, or the stakeholders. Um, we've got to stay focused on that. Whereas before, I think we, myself included, may have gotten a little too enamored of our own internal you know, organizational growth and development as leaders, as people teams, that much more now it's, it's about making sure we're staying focused on driving value out in the marketplace for the end customer. Mm. So how do we make sure that we're doing that? I mean, it may seem obvious to some people, but I know there's many others that it, it's yeah. obviously not obvious to them because they're not necessarily doing that. And therefore they're being seen more as, you know, cost centers, certainly more expendable yeah. in times like these. How do we make sure that we are driving value and we're seen more as partners to the business? Yeah, I like to I like to go with uh, simple approaches to some of these things. And one of the ones that I love doing is literally take the last week of your calendar and take a sheet of paper, if you still have that lying around somewhere in your office. Most people yep. have these digital tablets now, apparently. They got rid of buttons on iPhones, I understand. <laughs> but go through your calendar for the last week and essentially score the meetings that you did and, and say, okay, was this an internal meeting? Was this truly inside my HR organization solely for that purpose? Was it a an internal client meeting that I was running? Or was this something that was actually impacting and affecting and delivering value for the end customer? And really be honest with ourselves about that. And what we'll see is sort of a pie chart of how we're spending our time. And I think that there's an as is and a to be, as any good consultant would say, of how should we be spending our time and how are we spending our time? And I would, I would reckon that at least a few of those meetings, a few of those hours we spent could be reallocated or reclassified towards other ways of spending our, our time and energy that drive more value more deliberately for the organization that we can go to our internal stakeholders to make sure that we know that we are working right at the pointy end of the spear um, for what the mission of the company or the organization is doing. Yeah. So really getting to know the organization strategy, I always like to recommend, you know, dig into some of the finances, understand what's going on, but ask a lot of questions, get to know some of your stakeholders. And then as you suggested, take a look at your calendar and where you've been spending your time, who have you been meeting with, what type of conversations have you been having? And are they leading into you becoming more of a business partner and understanding what's going on and getting to the root of issues and, and finding ways to help enable the strategy? Or are you just kind of in reaction mode taking orders? Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think the the chief financial officer and her or his team right now are our best friends. Never has it been more important, I think, for people, teams, and leadership and development, learning and development organizations to get close to the finances of the organization. Whether it's rule of 40, free cash flow, EBITDA, you know, ARR, whatever it is, the metrics that that your organization, your company is going after. I think each of us are called to, to really be close to those and be able to translate for not only ourselves, but for our teams. How does our work drive impact and value to the bottom line of the company? Because those moments of reckoning have been coming and will keep coming where the board or the CFO or the CEO are saying, okay, let's talk about this and let's really make sure we can draw a red thread between this cost center and the value we're delivering for our customers. And the, the clearer and cleaner and shorter we can make that red thread, I think the better off we're all going to be. As we're in this sort of hybrid and remote world, and we've moved past the pandemic where everybody had to be working remotely and all training and development needed to be done 
virtually, right? And there were lots of people that were scrambling to make that happen. And we figured all that out now and we've adapted. There's lots of great virtual programs. We see people coming back together for in-person now in some cases. You work for a global organization with people on multiple continents. How do you think about when you're putting together a program, whether it needs to be virtual or in-person or some like combination of the two? Yeah, I think I think you're you're spot on with the combination of the two. And I, I did an all hands meeting um, not so long ago where I got some feedback from our team that we had call it a third of the people were on site in the offices, two thirds of the team were working remotely or working from home, and the feedback we got was, hey, if you're speaking in the all hands meeting or you're you're training or teaching in this you know this learning module, please be in a room alone by yourself. So the people at home have this one on one good audio, good video experience versus kind of like that. There's a long table in the conference room, that tiny little camera at the end. And it's like, who is that Bob? No, that that's Bill talking. Is that Sally? Oh, hi, Jane. Not, not Jane. You know, it's like, it really feels alienating when you're at the far end of that and you feel like an outsider. So I think hybrid is the right way to go to make sure that if people can't come into the office or choose not to that day or can't be part of it, that it's an equally valuable experience for all. Now that puts a real challenge on folks like you who lead and guide, you know, these these things and design yeah. these programs and run them. At the same time though, as a chief people officer, I want to make sure that when I'm running a learning program, the partner that I've chosen can operate in that hybrid world and accommodate that. At the same time, Andy, I would be I would be remiss if I didn't say I'm an in-person guy. Like I love the vibe of being in person. I like just the energy in a room when people are gathering. And there's a reason that as soon as we could, as people, we regathered with our families to celebrate birthdays, yep. right? What a bummer blowing out a birthday cupcake candle on Zoom. Yeah. That was right. terrible. No one liked that. So as soon as we got the chance, we're like, oh, let's get back together. And we were in these small pods, you know, the family units, et cetera, where we felt safe and we could do the testing or whatever. So human beings, the nature of humans, I don't know how old humans are. I don't know, 10,000, a million years old, however long. Oh, about 100,000 years. Yeah. 100,000 years. Okay. I'm glad somebody knows this answer. I should know that trying to educate young minds at home, but I'll learn these things. So at any rate, human nature hasn't changed that much, right? In the last three years, we still want yeah. to gather. We're still gathering people. We're still a storytelling people. We still want to have collective experiences that happen live. So I'm a proponent of, of coming together, gathering with purpose, especially for learning moments where and when we can. I, I'm a big proponent of that. And I would be remiss if I didn't share that. I love the hybrid. It's great when someone's got something, they can't make it. We want to make that an equitable experience. At the same time, I am a proponent of, of bringing people together for in-person experiences. Yeah. I think it comes down to the intention, right? What do you want people to get out of this experience? If it's just yeah. like straight knowledge transfer, maybe it can be done on demand or maybe it can be done virtually. Yeah. But if there's a, some strong benefits that can come from people interacting and collaborating, there could be a lot of benefits to getting together in person. At the same time, I think a lot of companies are weighing trade-offs you know, as I mentioned, you work for a global company with people on multiple continents. You know, how much is it going to be time and money to fly a lot of people into one place versus doing these virtually? So like I know most of the programs I'm running now are virtually, but it's great when we can get together in person. And, you know, I agree with you. I, I've studied this and I, and I think humans, I don't think I know humans are social creatures. We crave that in-person, yeah. you know, interaction. And the proof is in what you talked about, people getting together because, during that time frame of 2020, you know, the last couple of years, we learned that we can accomplish almost anything in business virtually that we used to think we had to do in person. At least, you know, for the most part in the knowledge worker world, we realized we didn't really need to travel that much to communicate and do things. And yet yeah. today, now that things have opened back up, when you go to the airport, 
you go to conferences, you go to weddings and parties, like they're packed people everywhere. And it's all voluntary. It's because people don't want to be locked up in their houses. They want to be out around other people. Yeah, I agree. And I think you're right. The last few years have proven that we can do it. And that's good because it gives us that agility and that that ability to pivot programs and experiences when we need to for all good reasons. And at the same time, embracing you know the human nature, the humanity that we all have, I think is important as well. So yeah. yeah, we've got to wrap things up soon. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, I know in your time working in the tech world, you've been a part of multiple acquisitions. And I also know, you know, as we're recording this in mid-2023, there's a lot of restructuring yeah. and mergers and acquisitions still going on and, and people that are, are working inside of these things. What are some thoughts you have or tips you have for people who are going through organization, you know, acquisitions or mergers? Because, you know, being an HR, the people team, you're right in the middle of it and kind of responsible for how do we integrate these cultures and make sure people feel like they know what they're doing, they understand the strategy and, and where we're going. Yeah, I'm going to give you a really boring answer to a really important and complex question. But this is my HR nerd side coming out, my HR ops roots here. Whether it's before the acquisition, when you don't even know it's on the radar, or when it gets announced, or when you're in the thick of integration, doubling down on the time that you're spending on job architecture cannot be overstated. And for two reasons, making that Rosetta Stone between organization A and organization B is important. And having a clear job architecture, both on the joining and the receiving side of the transaction will help people understand where they fit. I think that's the number one question that in my experience, you know, having been part of, I don't know, 20 or so acquisitions during my time at Salesforce and then being acquired myself and then acquiring other companies as a chief people officer, that's the first thing that people are asking. It gets to the with them. What's in it for me? How does this matter to me? And if I understand where I fit in the job architecture in my current organization, where I'm going to fit in the new organization and what the crosswalk is going to be there, the sooner I myself will move through that change journey. I may not like the answer. The ambiguity though is far more detrimental than the answer in these merger and acquisition exercises. So if you're a head of HR, uh, somewhere in the people organization, haven't spent time on your job architecture, uh, please, I implore you, go make some time for that. <laughs> Do it on for your own behalf and for your people. And then if you're an acquiring company, make sure that that receiving job architecture is really clear. I think that it, it, it gets to the heart of being the most human to people. Back to the first part of our conversation to understand what their role is, what their job is called and how they're going to fit in so they can find a place. And hopefully if it's, you know, if it fits the deal thesis, contribute to the new company or understand how their role maybe doesn't have a place and how they're going to transition out and that they can make sense of that. It's like, oh, well, I used to do this job and that company doesn't have this, or they already have a lot of those jobs already in it. So my role is truly redundant. And here's how I'm going to be taken care of as I transition. Uh, that level of clarity, I think, is is really important to be human to people and treat them with dignity and respect throughout the whole process. Mm, be human to people and treat them with dignity and, dignity and respect. Great advice, David. I appreciate that and appreciate you coming on. There's so many more things I want to ask you about. I know you've done a lot of work around compensation and performance management as well. So maybe we'll have to have you back on another time. But uh, for now, we got to wrap things up. Thank you so much for being here. I know if anybody wants to reach out to you or ask you more questions about the things we talked about, I assume LinkedIn is probably the best place to go. LinkedIn, LinkedIn's the place to go, or you can dial my rotary phone. <laughs> See if you can find it. Go Google it. It's L David Kingsley on LinkedIn. Go. go look him up. And if you're not connected with me on LinkedIn, make sure you send that connection request and let me know that you listen to the show. David, thank you again for being on here. I really appreciate you. 
And I will talk to you again more soon for our bonus Q&A round. Take care. My pleasure, Andy. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Take care. All right, that will do it for my conversation with L. David Kingsley, who is the Chief People Officer at Intercom, the leading customer service platform for internet business. And David has been doing some amazing things in the learning and development world within Silicon Valley and technology. And he's someone that I worked with many years ago and I've been following. We've been keeping in touch and I've just always been impressed with some of the stuff he's doing and really appreciated him coming on and sharing today because he had a lot of wisdom to share with regards to the evolution of L&D and HR and where things have been and where they are going. I'd be curious, you know, what your thoughts or perspective are on that. He talked about the evolution going from employee as customer and making people feel like family and adding to the employee experience. There's a lot of companies that are still focused on doing and all those things being very important. Of course, you talked about moving to serving a remote workforce during the pandemic. And then that moved quickly, right? We think about how long it felt like the pandemic was and all the challenges around converting to remote work and virtual. And during that time, there was a short stint where a lot of people were getting laid off. And then all of a sudden hiring was coming back. And we quickly moved from that pandemic era into the great resignation where lots of people were leaving and moving around to different jobs and companies were reaching out to me all the time. And I'm sure all of you were struggling with with the question of how do we keep our best people? How do we retain them? How do we teach our people to really own their careers? And I worked with a lot of companies during that time, did a lot of keynotes and training during that time. I'm still doing those today, but the focus has shifted. And David said the debate and struggle about getting employees back into the office now or working remotely along with the you know this tough economy we're in is sort of the new phase. That's like the HR 3.0 that we're in and those things that we're trying to figure out. And lots of knowledge workers are now joining the gig economy, he mentioned, right? And I think that's happening both internally. I've, I've heard of companies that are really incubating this idea of gig economy. And then it's also happening, of course, externally. I I don't know if I remember a time. It feels like there was another time. I can't remember specifically when it was. Maybe it was around 2020 where so many people were starting up their own businesses as consultants, coaches, whatever it may be. Lots of people reaching out to me for advice and for help as I'm running my business and they see what I'm doing. And I think it's interesting. And I love seeing people going out there and giving that a shot. And I know some of them are going to make it and stick with it. Some people are going to try it and then go back to working for companies. And that's the cool thing in today's you know, world that you can try that stuff. You can take some time out from a job and, and try to run your own business. You can do it on the side. You can do it full time. You can go back and get a job later when times are good and people are hiring like crazy again because the, the, the economy goes up and down. And I'm all about supporting everyone. I'm all about collaboration over competition. I don't believe that any of these people are my competition in the business that I run. And so I'm happy to help people, you know, when they reach out and I have the time. I'm starting to do that more within the talent development think tank community that I run. We're actually going to be introducing an entrepreneur tier in the near future. And I'm working on plans for a retreat. But, you know, we have interesting little chats here and there. If there's something you're working on, you're thinking about, feel free to reach out. I want to help people. And speaking of this idea of abundance mindset and collaboration over competition, I have an article that is out now in TD Magazine. So if you're a subscriber, go search for that, grab that. You can search my name and TD Magazine. It's all about operating with and developing an abundance mindset with the idea that there's plenty to go around for anyone. And maybe I'll do a separate podcast episode about that. It's something that really drives me and helps me make a lot of great connections, relationships, friends 
with people because I'm not worried about competing with them. I'm not worried about them taking things away from me. I think we can all grow and continue to make the pie bigger. And that's something we're also big on in the talent development think tank community that I run. It's very, very collaborative and supportive. In fact, right now, many members in there are looking for a job because we're in this kind of tough economy here in the middle of 2023. And so two of our members, Jess Siegel and Philip Magienko, have started a job search group specifically for people who are actively looking for a job. And that's been running now for a few weeks. They have calls every Thursday, weekly calls where they share leads with each other. They mastermind with each other. They support each other. They encourage each other to help each other find that next role. Some of them are laid off and like looking very actively. Some are in jobs, but they're trying to look for new ones. And we also have a job board in our Slack channel in the Talent Development Think Tank. So if you are in L&D, you're looking for a new job, or you're just looking to collaborate and connect with others to do better work, I would love for you to come check us out. Our website, again, for everything involved in the podcast, the blog, and the community is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. You can find all our info there. And when you join the community, you get access not only to our live weekly calls with expert speakers like L. David Kingsley, who is going to be speaking in the community later this year, but you also get access to our job search group as well. So talentdevelopmentthinktank.com is the website. Stay tuned. Our next episode will be our bonus Q&A with David, and uh, he shares some great content, great insights in that episode as well. Take care.